Good afternoon. I'm Rhonda Feynman, and this is the Healthy Options Program on WERU. And on today's program, we welcome back Professor Miriam Worman. Miriam Worman is a professor of biology at William Patterson University of New Jersey, where she directs a research laboratory in microbiology. She's an expert in bioethics and a pioneer in biotechnology education, and she developed and directed one of the first biotechnology programs worldwide. She is also an award-winning science journalist, publishing over 200 articles on topics in science and health, and she has written extensively on biotechnology, genetics, and medical ethics. Professor Warman's book, The Handbook, Surviving in a Germ-Filled World, makes the case for washing our hands to reduce the risk of infectious disease. The Handbook presents the history, religious, and cultural roots of handwashing, how scientists discovered that germs cause disease, that the science behind hand hygiene, and the shocking truth that many people, including healthcare workers, do not wash properly. <clears throat> Professor Warman offers tips to improve hygiene to stay healthier at home, work, school, and so importantly, in healthcare facilities where poor hygiene can be deadly. Back in March, as the pandemic was emerging, we spoke with Miriam Warman about how to reduce our exposure to infectious disease and stay healthy. We wanted to check in again with her now for her advice and perspective in light of the surge in coronavirus cases around the US and globally. Welcome back to Healthy Options, Professor Miriam Warman. It's good to talk with you again. Really, really Thank happy. Thank you. Thank you, Rhonda. It's always a pleasure to talk to you. So nice to, to, to see you again. And I have a, uh, a question to just dive right in. Why is hand washing still so important and in this world of, uh, of the resurgence, again, of these cases, how, how can we stay healthy? Let's well, uh, when, this all, when this all began, there certainly was a very big um, movement to get people on board with hand washing. And masks were not being emphasized at the very beginning of the pandemic. So the importance of hand washing had, had really been on the forefront at that point. Now we have the science of mask wearing and how important that is to reduce the risk. And it really is the critical issue with regard to staying healthier and to avoiding this uh, pandemic. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so we, but, we, but we're going to uh, make our way back to the idea of hand washing, even though it has um, now kind of been delegated to the background where mask wearing is the dominant message, but hand washing is still a major uh, uh, approach to staying healthier. Um, and so we have to be aware of those issues of the things we're touching and how we can reduce the risk of transmitting germs, including the COVID-19 virus, to ourselves, to our loved ones, bringing them home, and so on. So we know that, um, that this virus is unbelievably virulent to use. <laughs> what makes it different than the flu? What makes it different than other things that, that we encounter and have been encountering forever? What's, why is it different? Well, every pathogen, which is a germ that makes you sick, Every pathogen has um, different types of characteristics and different ways that it can attack the body. 
Um, and so COVID-19 does have different mechanisms of infection and also triggers uh, body um, uh, systems that can make you very, very sick. It triggers certain reactions in the immune system that can be deadly. Uh, so those are some of the differences. So when we think about germs that make us sick, um, in my book, I mention Asian flu and cholera, mumps, Ebola, measles, plague, SARS, malaria, polio, smallpox. These have all been epidemics um, over the course of uh, you know our lifetime. And they're very different from each other. Some are viruses, some are bacterial infections. Uh, some are very, very infectious and others less so. I mean, measles, we were dealing with measles last year, year before. It's very, very contagious. And so it's, um, it, it, it's uh, dangerous uh, and it does um, result in some deaths but um, death rate is, is lower, but because it's so contagious, it spreads like wildfire. Uh, it seems like COVID-19 is contagious, but it also has a death rate that's much higher than the influenza virus. It's about 10 times the rate of the flu in terms of mortality. So that's one of the things that should be eyebrow raising, literally and figuratively, and it should get our attention. And it should make, a, give a, you know, make us respect this virus and the things it can do to you, to, you, to your loved ones, you know, to our communities. So, you know, we all have immune systems. <laughs> no matter what your political persuasion, no matter what, a virus is going to get in there and, and, and affect you no matter what. And, and then so many, in, our, in Maine in particular, we're, we're maybe not in particular, but there are some cases where the idea of using a mask and actually doing some of the things, social distancing that you're talking about, are, are being um, politicized. It's the idea that, uh, that, that somehow uh, this isn't real. And, and how can we, what, is there a way to actually um, express the, the importance of the mask, the hand washing, the, the, these immune system enhancing uh, 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 efforts that, that can uh, really keep us all safe? I think uh, we need to educate people on the value and importance of science. Science is a way of approaching the world um, with a particular uh, objective uh, tests and experiments, uh, and it's a, a very valuable tool to us, uh, to humanity. And over the past century plus, the scientific method has been used to develop treatments and cures. It allows us to take advantage of medical um, advances that keep us healthy, saving lives. So we, we really need to um, make sure that people continue to respect the scientific method. The people who do science, who are um, honest reporters of facts and uh, understand mechanisms of biology, of health, so that they can offer us ways to deal with these types of crises, offer regional, reasonable, intelligent, objective um, solutions. That's really what we want at this point. We want to have objective people uh, developing those types of um, uh, cures, uh, vaccines, uh, therapeutics. 
uh, without that, we might as well throw away all of modern medicine. You know, if you break a bone, hey, why bother to set it? It'll heal, right? It might not heal so well. You might be dragging it around with you the rest of your life. But why should you consult with a medical expert? Right? So if you're going to buy into modern medicine, then you have to trust that the, the medical advances are based on the scientific method, which is an objective way of looking at the world and testing the new types of advances. And that's, that's really it. We have to respect the science. And as a scientist, there's so much you can offer us. And when we're going to get into some of the details. I, I'm, I'm really curious about, about some of the research that you do on surfaces and, and, uh, and contaminants and germs. And, and what do we know? What, do, what are you learning? And what have you studied in, in, your, uh, in your lab? Well, we uh, study the way bacteria interact with different kinds of surfaces, including cloth, clothing, fabrics, and other types of surfaces like money, you know, the currency that we handle, and even gloves, the gloves that we depend on to protect us in many, in many circumstances. Um, so it turns out that gloves are very, very good at transferring germs from surface to surface. Uh, we have um, very strict health codes with regard to food handlers. Some of my research has investigated whether food handlers in New York City, uh, on food carts, in New Jersey, in the malls, they sell you food, they take your money, they do a transaction. Are they doing it properly according to public health uh, recommendations and, uh, and the, the public health code? 97% of the time, no. Uh, many food handlers are not wearing gloves. Many food handlers wear the same glove to handle your money and your food, and then they scratch their face and they adjust their hair, all with the same gloves. So uh, those are types of things that we're looking at, and we do show, and we have um, demonstrated that gloves are very good at transferring bacteria from one surface to another. Money uh, as well. Is, can be contaminated because it's something that a lot of people handle. So those types of surfaces could potentially be a risk for us when we're out in the public and we're touching them, we could be contaminating our fingers and, and ourselves. So what does that tell us for, uh, for um, COVID-19? We know that uh, we're talking about masks as being so essential and we'll, we'll talk about that. And I want you to again Give us, uh, every time you're on the show, we have to have the hand-washing lesson. And uh, we, we can never get tired of, of everybody right now. And I, I, I go to your sink and be ready to get the hand-washing lesson from Miriam Worman. And, and let's do that now. And then we'll get back to this idea of what do we need? Do we need gloves in the supermarket? Should we be wearing them uh, visiting our friends? What, what's, what, what's going on with all of this? But right now... Let's get down to basics. We're going to wash our hands. Can you, you ready? Okay, everybody, we're going to give you a second to get to your sink. Okay, you're there. You're okay, off. I'm not actually at my sink, but <laughs> what I would tell you about hand washing is that it, it does remove the various germs that you may pick up in the public or in your own home, uh, or you may have picked it up from other people's hands. Um, and by lathering up with soap and warm water, 
for 20 seconds with a rubbing of all the surfaces, the palms, the back of the hands, between the fingers, around the thumbs, uh, and then rinsing well, you can get rid of the major amount of germ load on your hands. And it's very, very effective. And 20 seconds is the one is the amount of time that's recommended. That means singing happy birthday song twice. But if you feel that you can't pull off the full 20 seconds, you can do a thorough job of hand washing. As long as you focus and you make sure all the surfaces are covered and are lathered with soapy water and you rinse well, then you have done a very good, um, you know, accomplished what you uh, pretty much what you need to do. So 20 seconds is not necessarily inexact. It's a re recommended because then it ensures that people are very thorough. So be thorough and you can, and when you're wiping your hands, the idea is that the whatever viruses, bacteria have already gone down the, the drain and you're washing, just drying your hands with your clean towel or your paper towel. Okay, everyone, remember, remember that hand washing is still very vital even as we talked about social distancing and the masks being really important, what we know now. Um, yes. And hand drying is also essential in that you should use a clean paper towel or if you're in your home, you should have a dedicated towel for each family member. Don't share towels. You're just sharing germs. So if that's possible, you can have a little hook for each family member and uh, change the towel on a regular basis, launder it. So tell us about the this this whole idea of we were discussing the fabric and clothes. First off, and the gloves. Do we need to wear gloves in the supermarket? What's or or when we're out in stores? What's our what's the best way to to handle um, our regular things that we have to do to to survive? Well, first of all, I want to emphasize that the major mechanism of transfer of the virus is through breathing through aerosols. And so mask wearing is the A number one most important thing you can do to protect yourself and protect others from transmission of the virus. And since people carry it, um, they may not have, they may be asymptomatic carriers. You really need to wear it consistently when you're out with people who are not in your household because you're protecting them and they're protecting you. But having said that, yes, surfaces can transmit germs. So when you're out and about, you're touching things in the public area, you could come in contact with uh, not only COVID virus, but other germs. You know, you can pick up a flu virus or other types of germs. So my practice is when I go out in, in a store or another public place, if I have touched uh, doorknobs, if I'm in a public restroom, you know, you touch surfaces. Do you actually uh, go to a public? Okay, all right. That's I another have, conversation. I have. Even oh, my goodness. the COVID times, I have. And I, I make sure my mask is in place. I do touch things, but then I wash my hands at the sink, uh, at the public sink. And I wash with soap. Hopefully, there's soap in the public restroom. And then I dry, hopefully, with a paper towel that they may uh, provide, not with a blower. The blowers are uh, problematic, let's just say, because they can uh, propel the air that could mix, you know, all over and you could be breathing in whatever was near the, or in the vicinity of the blower. So, uh, so I do wash my hands in public restrooms, even during a pandemic and uh, use soap and then dry them with a paper towel. I usually carry some tissues and just in case if they don't have a paper towel. Uh, if, Come prepared. Uh, yes. 
Yes. Um, but in terms of glove wearing, now I actually, when all of this started, I actually took a box of gloves and I put it in my kitchen in a prominent place. And I thought, okay, when I go out, I'm going to wear gloves. And I tried it. And I realized the following. Gloves can give you a false sense of security. You can be touching things in, in the store. And then you get back in your car with the same pair of gloves. And now you've brought everything from the store that you touch into your, you touch your steering wheel, touch your gear shift, whatever. Uh, you are transferring whatever you have touched. So what I do instead of wearing gloves is I carry some hand sanitizer. And uh, after shopping, and I put the groceries from my car into my trunk, before I open the, the car door, I sanitize my hands by rubbing uh, all surfaces. I air dry them, and then I enter the car because at least I have uh, decreased the germ load on my hands, and I'm not transferring everything from the store into the car and bringing it home with me. Then when I get home, I go to the sink and I really wash my hands because that is the most effective way of reducing the amount of, of viruses or bacteria on your hands. So what do you do with the bags and the food? Are you, uh, are you a, a food washer? Are you a, uh, a, what about, you know, vegetables and such? They say less chance of, of through food um, transmission, but what, what's your, what's your uh, advice on that or your comfort level with that? Again, at the beginning, uh, I think we all felt very unsure of what the right answers were. So at the beginning, I would wipe down a few things and, and consider if I was going into the pantry for some days or a week or more, then it would be okay just to leave it alone because the virus um, can survive on surfaces for a number of days, but not indefinitely. Um, but in terms of the uh, groceries now, I guess I've made the decision that I'm not going to wipe down everything. The things that I put into the refrigerator, I'm mostly going to cook. And I always wash off my fruits and vegetables before I eat them, I consume them. So, you know, there is that. And uh, the cooked food is fine if you cook anything in your kitchen, uh, heat it to a certain temperature for a certain period of time, that doesn't pose a risk. One thing I have stopped doing and again, you have to make your own decisions about this. I've stopped buying pre-prepared um, salads that somebody else cut up. So I'll buy my head of lettuce. I'll buy my tomatoes. I'll buy my cucumber and peel it. Uh, and I just felt that that was some, uh, you know, the one thing that I had decided I was going to be a little bit more careful about is that who has handled this? Who has cut up the fruit in that beautiful fruit bowl that you can buy? Well, I'll cut up my own fruit. Um, and again, it's a personal decision that you can make as to where you draw the line because there's not a big risk from this type of exposure. Uh, the same thing with takeout food. Uh, you can certainly go to a pizza parlor, right, and get a pizza, bring it home. It's been cooked. It's hot. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're hoping that they haven't handled it much with their hands. Um, but to, but there are some other types of foods that maybe had more handling. So you kind of have to uh, make a judgment about that. And that, of course, speaking of food, brings us to the question of restaurants. To restaurant or not to restaurant? That is the question, right? <laughs> uh, outdoor dining 
uh, under very strict conditions of social distancing appears to be low risk. But the minute you do outdoor dining, look around in that space. Are the tables really spaced apart enough? Are you on your table sharing your table with friends who are not in your bubble? Okay, if so, then you have crossed the line and you are doing something that is not recommended. So if you're in different tables from your friends and you're six feet apart, you know, these are all things you have to figure out and you have to keep in mind the major rules, which is social distancing inside or out at least six feet. Even if you have a mask on, but especially if you don't, if you're eating, you have to maintain that distance. And that is a place that we can really slide into the old habits. So you need to be careful. Indoor dining, hey, you know, that's a whole other story because there you don't have the air circulation. And there, there also tend to be less space. So you might not be able to maintain the six feet. Uh, also, you know, your waiter, waitress will come by and they may bend down over you. Make sure that they have, um, you know, a mask, fully masked, properly masked. Uh, but indoor is definitely higher risk. And it's a decision that you may have to really think long and hard about. Again, one of those hard decisions. I haven't done indoor dining in a restaurant. I am not going to. I don't think the necessity there's a necessity for it in my life at this point. Because here the risk outweighs the benefit. And there's kind of a seesaw that we're playing with. How high is the risk? How high is the benefit? I want to see my grandchildren. Yeah, I'll be in the backyard with them. That's a tremendous benefit. Even though there's a small risk, but we do it safely. So, you know, we can absorb the small, I'm wearing a mask, they're wearing a mask. But um, yeah, that's it. Risk and benefit. That's, that's a bioethics uh, discussion also. Oh, I want to talk about that. Um, just if you are tuning in, by the way, this is the Healthy Options Show on WERU Community Radio. I'm your host, Rhonda Feynman, and we're speaking today with Professor Miriam Warman. She's the author of The Handbook, Surviving in a Germ-Filled World, which is an in-depth book on the subject of handwashing to prevent disease. And we are talking about handwashing and many other strategies to keep ourselves as healthy as we can during the pandemic epidemics and every day. So let's get get back to, to some of these ideas about choice. You know, you talked about the bubble or we could call it a pod. People creating the idea some people have created based on their situation with family. Okay, I will see my grandkids. I will do something with the uh, daughter and son-in-law, the, you know, that, that kind of thing. Um, however, when they go back to work, which is what happened after the first few weeks of the pandemic, then people started to, well, maybe we just do outside with the grandkids, or maybe we, we, we have to weigh those balances. And let's talk about that, since you are so an expert and write about ethics as well. Let's, let's talk about how we bring that into our lives and into our, our, our sphere. So really, when we talk about ethics and bioethics is a, a very a deep interest of mine, um, major ways to make decisions. Bioethics is all about making difficult decisions, whether it's treating somebody or um, 
you know, declining treatment or it's uh, using a, a technology or not using a technology um, or behavioral decisions, public health decisions. We typically think of it as balancing risk and benefit. Uh, even when we take a vaccine, which is going to be a, an issue that comes up hopefully sooner rather than later, uh, we have to determine if it's a safe and effective vaccine. And if so, the benefit far outweighs the risk. And it's a no-brainer. Of course, I want to be vaccinated if it's a safe vaccine. Um, so risk and benefit is, is a big part of our life now. And those, those decisions are hard to make. So if you are faced with that kind of decision, should I go to the restaurant with my friends or not? And you're a high risk in terms of complications from COVID, then your risk is high. The benefit, yeah, fun, right? Getting together. I love people. I miss them. I crave being together with my friends. But the risk is high. So, you know, you might pass on that, wet, on that invitation to be together in a restaurant. And you might choose a less risky behavior like Zooming with them or a backyard visit with masks. Um, we haven't hosted dinners in our home in all this time. And we really do like to entertain and get our friends together. But we have decided that the risk is, is, is too high, even though the benefit is tangible and it's a pleasure to be with friends. Uh, so those are some of the things that can help us at least address those very difficult decisions. Uh, think about the risk, think about the benefit, weigh them out and make a difficult decision. What else is involved in, in ethics? Because we, we do talk about, we, uh, we, in the past, you and I have discussed, uh, discussed this in, in terms of people who don't wear masks or have made those decisions. What, 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 how do we decide how to participate? So in, in bioethics, we have foundational principles. Bioethics is not about how you feel. Oh, I feel it's right. I feel it's wrong. Yes, there's right and wrong. That's kind of ingrained in you because you grew up in an environment where your parents and your teachers told you don't bite your friends and don't beat up your sister, you know, so you know right and wrong and you know what feels good and feels bad. But we also have foundational uh, principles and the major principle is non-maleficence, which means do no harm. Don't harm other people. Don't engage in behaviors that will harm other people. And wearing a mask is very important because by um, rejecting the mask, what you're doing is you're exposing other people to possible risk of infection. Again, we could be asymptomatic carriers. We don't know, right? Uh, you don't get tested every day. We hardly ever get tested. So you need to protect other people and that is a foundation of ethics, a foundation of bioethics. The other side of the coin is beneficence is to do good. So do no harm and do good. Those two facets of ethics are principles that we hope we can all live by because it just makes it much more pleasant and a happier society if we're doing kind things and thoughtful things and we're not harming others. So wearing the mask is beneficence. It's doing good. It's a good deed. It's, it's being thoughtful of your neighbors and your friends and your family members. You don't want to go out, catch something, and bring it back to vulnerable family members. So those are the really important principles. And one more principle that is relevant in terms of this discussion is autonomy. That's my right to do whatever I want to do, right? I have autonomy. I'm an adult. 
a lot of children feel that they want autonomy, but their parents are always kind of keeping them in line. So they have limited autonomy, but I'm all grown up. Why can't I decide whether or not to wear a mask? Who are you telling me that I should wear a mask? I don't feel like it. Well, we have then the clash of principles. My autonomy might result in harming somebody if I say no mask, and then I go and I trans and transmit germs to somebody else. You're infringing on their rights, and you're doing something that's unethical. So when autonomy and non-maleficence go head to head, we have to consider not doing harm is more important than my choice of mask or no mask. And after all, uh, wearing a mask doesn't really harm you. It's uncomfortable. It fogs up my glasses. But it's such a small price to pay to make sure that you're not harming someone and that you're not catching something you're going to bring back to your family. So in a way, it's selfish, right? I'm going to protect my friends. I'm going to protect my family. But it's also altruistic. You're giving of yourself. And that is a very good place to be because when you do something that is good and kind and thoughtful and you're protecting people and you're not harming them, it also leaves a good feeling in your own heart, right? And it, it, it leaves a positive feeling. So if you think about mask wearing in those terms, right, non-maleficence, do no harm. Every physician uh, takes that oath, right, to do good, to do no harm, the Hippocratic Oath. Well, every citizen, every um, individual should keep that in mind also. Let's, let's take care of each other, and, and, and that will help us through a very difficult time where we have to give up a little autonomy. We have to say, okay, this time I'm not going to do exactly what I want, and I'll wear the mask. Mm. So, of course, the, the analogy, the, the old story of somebody on the boat, you're all on a boat and someone starts uh, digging a hole or, I mean, uh, you know, drilling a hole under their seed and you go, what are you doing? Well, well, it's my seed. Is it? Yeah, <laughs> Is we, it? We, we don't have total autonomy. We, we don't have do responsibility. And as adults, we do shoulder a lot of responsibility. You know, we're working and we're taking care of families and we're... Uh, good, we're good citizens, and we feel that it's you know important to to do the things that um, that help our communities, and we volunteer. Um, you know, there are a lot of things that we do that are not selfish. You know, they're unselfish things. So this is one more one more example of a very concrete way. If you take care of other people by wearing a mask. And, you know, this eventually is going to end. So this is an interesting chapter in our lives. We'll tell our children, I have grown children, so they already know that. We'll tell our grandchildren about it. Our grandchildren will tell their grandchildren that they lived through the pandemic of 2020. And they'll say, 2020? Well, it's already 2080. You're so old. Uh, so, this, you know, I tell my grandchildren, you're going to have a very good story to tell for for the next generation and and following that that's the thing though what we are finding and that 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 kids are actually following the rules mostly and they're they're doing a better job than the, than some adults are doing and and it is their reality i mean this is what they're what they're growing into as you said that's the story hopefully we'll all be 
humanity will still be here. Let's hope for the best <laughs> and that we'll um, have stories to tell. But, but the kids I, are doing a good job, huh? I think the children can be our role models. Um, my grandchildren range in age from 1 to 11. I have seven grandchildren. And they are all very good mask wearers. And they're very reliable and consistent mask wearers. And they wear them properly, uh, which sometimes it breaks my heart a little bit that they have to do this. It breaks my heart a lot when I see them like with their friends and everybody's wearing masks and they're playing. And I say, oh, so cute. But oh, so sad <laughs> that they have to do it. But they are terrific and they understand the importance of it. And they will even point a finger and say, oh, you're not doing it right. You know, really? Uh, and, um, and, and that, I think, is, is going to help us get through this, is that the children can be taught, they can be educated, they can understand the importance of it. Uh, even a four-year-old, even a two-year-old, and when I went out with my uh, family, we had an outdoor activity at a farm. It was lovely. The four-year-old and the two-year-old, they both wore their masks so well, so consistently. They're not complaining. They're playing. They're acting like life is normal and beautiful. And let's be there. Let's be there with them. Let's, uh, I, I would say, let's hold their hands, but I'm not allowed to hold their hands now. Oh. So I know it's very hard. So uh, I know next year I'll hold hands and I'll have them on my laps again, on my lap again. But this year is, is hard. These are hard decisions. But they're, they're keeping us safe. And my children, my daughters, they really, they're really strict about trying to keep the grandparents safe. It's a tough one. These are tough decisions. They're um, difficult situations. But as long as we can look to the future at, to a point where we're back to a better time, where we're more normal, we have nor more normal types of interactions. Let us do the right thing so we can be there next year when things come back, when we're able to get together in groups. We have to, we have to do yeah. the right thing to stay safe and sound. I was um, reminded of, uh, we have a wonderful CDC director here in Maine who ends all of his uh, press conferences with, be kind. Be kind. So getting back to that ethical aspect, be kind. And he never lets us forget when he's talking about people who are infected here in, in our, our, our state, um, that if we are talking about people who have passed, they're not statistics. They're actually human beings. Somebody has lost a family member. We are actually, we're, it, so when we have this conversation about the ethics of doing things to protect each other, we're not talking Abstractly, we're talking very a very concrete thing about human beings and families and and everything that you've discussed and um, and and have reminded us about. That's the the science is is there to uh, to confirm and uh, to establish very clearly that the very simple things that we can do we can change our behaviors uh, and do consistently are wearing the mask properly over nose and mouth with uh, no gaps, um, social distancing, which is at least six feet, if not more, because now some of the research shows that aerosols can be in the air for long periods of time. And hand washing, again, don't forget the hand washing, because that will help prevent you from bringing and transferring germs, uh, you know, COVID-19 being the, the biggest focus at this point. 
Um, those are simple acts. And what the research shows us, again, it's science, is that if we do this properly, we will be saving tens of thousands, probably hundreds of thousands of lives. Uh, we, we, we care about each other. We care about our family, our friends, but we care about our larger community. And that's how we should do it. We have to do it that way. We can't just brush it off and say, oh, it's over. You know, I, I've had it. COVID fatigue. I've had it already. Well, let's just stick with it. Like my two-year-old granddaughter who just is the cutest thing. And she keeps the mask on. It's got little panda bears on it. It's so cute. Uh, and it's for her, it's like normal. Okay, this is normal. You go out, you put on a mask. Mm. Well, for those who just joined us, I'm Rhonda Feynman, and you're tuned to WERU Community Radio. Our guest today on Healthy Options is Dr. Miriam Worman, professor of biology at William Patterson University of New Jersey and author of the book, The Handbook, Surviving in a Germ-Filled World. So now we're going inside. It's winter, or at least colder days. I uh, and, and we, as we've always been saying, if you have an issue, you need to see your doctor. You need to see your dentist. You need to see your eye doctor. You need to see your acupuncturist. Oh, chiropractor, any massage person. You need to get attention to, to ways of staying healthy. What do we need to look for? What do we ask and make sure, to make sure that the offices that we're going into are safe and, and are doing the right things? What, what do you recommend? Yeah, so indoors is really a whole other story because there's more restrictive flow of air and anyone who has exhaled or sneezed or coughed, uh, the aerosols can remain suspended for periods of time. So what you're looking for is a care is a healthcare professional's office where uh, they, uh, if, if possible, they can restrict the patients to seeing one patient at a time and have the other patients perhaps waiting in their cars. That's what some professional healthcare uh, 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 professionals are doing uh, where they don't even fill up the waiting room. If they have, a, I was recently no in a doctor and I was in a waiting room and I was a little uncomfortable, uh, but they did put down stickers saying, don't sit here, don't sit here. So we were spread out and it was a pretty big waiting room, but mm. I was there for 15 or 20 mm. minutes. And and I kept looking around and I was nervous because somebody's going to come close to me. I had my, uh, my N95 mask on because when I'm in that situation, I wear the best mask possible. But if your healthcare professional can have one patient at a time come in, that's better. Okay. Uh, secondly, you want to make sure that you and your doctor keep the masks on unless you're at a dentist and you have to take your mask off, obviously. But for other types of healthcare, you can keep the mask on and, and your doctor, she can keep her mask on. And um, you want to be aware of how uh, sanitary the office is. Are they sanitizing in between patients appropriately and most doctors do. Most healthcare professionals are good at this. They've done it before the virus, you know, and so they continue to do it. But there are things you can look for to make it, you know, to be able to feel comfortable about that particular office and that particular experience. You also would hope to be in an office where there's good ventilation, where they have good filtration in their uh, HVAC system. Some of these things you can't know, but you can ask and you can choose a doctor 
you can't always choose your doctor, but sometimes you can choose how you're going to see the doctor. I have done some of these Zoom type doctor visits. They're certainly not as satisfying uh, as being in the office with your uh, physician, but you can accomplish a lot in distance type visits as well. So think about those issues and try to do it as safely as possible. And yes, there will be some risk, but you can reduce the risk or minimize the risk. What do you think of humidifiers or shields? What, what, what do we need to think about in terms of, of you know, they say that, that the viruses are in dry air. It's, it's more of a problem. What? Right. So um, humidifiers have always been promoted, especially in winter months when you have heat going on in your home and the air becomes very dry and air outside is crisp and dry also. So your mucous membranes get drier and they are more vulnerable to infections. And if you humidify, then reportedly it, it can reduce risk. It can help you stay healthier, but you have to make sure that your, um, uh, that your equipment that you humidifier is taken care of in terms of uh, making sure it's kept clean and that you're not spewing out mold and fungus that accumulated in the device. Uh, so make sure that you do your use a humidifier that's been, that's kept clean um, and is cleaned on a regular basis. And face shields, which is that plastic thing you can put over. Um, if you're wearing a mask, you must be wearing a mask if you're outside with other people. That is non-negotiable. Uh, a shield can offer another level, level of protection. Uh, healthcare workers are very particular because they're seeing a lot of people. So a lot of healthcare workers and in hospitals in particular. And my dentist, right, wears a shield because there can be um, sprays and, and they can be um, exposed to a lot of germ, high germ load. So they're giving, they're, they have an extra layer of protection. For a typical person doing typical activities, um, they do say that glasses can reduce your infection rate because your eyes are vulnerable. Uh, if you feel like you're more comfortable with a shield on, then by all means, they're not that expensive now. And there are people who go out and about with mask and shield, and you may feel that it can help you to reduce risk some more. But it's generally not necessary for regular everyday types of activity. And we talked a little bit about your, your level of expertise on uh, working about clothing and, 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 and transmission. What do you say about, uh, about going into a healthcare facility? Um, people should be wearing scrubs or some people have the tall Tyvek suits and that kind of thing. Do we need to do that going into an office? What's, what's, what, what's our risk with uh, clothing and such? If you're going into your workplace and you're not a healthcare professional, you might have um, a set of clothes, your work clothes. And if you've been sitting around with people, then maybe you would feel comfortable when you get home changing and throwing your blouse or whatever into the wash. Uh, that, that's something that you can uh, decide. You know, that's another one of those decisions, uh, especially if you spend a lot of time face-to-face -face with people. Healthcare professionals will typically have their scrubs that they leave in the clinic and they change into the street clothes and they don't bring home their clinic um, uniform. 
that's uh, really strict now. That's very much adhered to now. And uh, that's a good way of, of not bringing home, bringing home the work, right? We don't want to bring home that kind of work. Um, but again, there are some decisions that you might make. If, uh, if I sit in my own office and I see very few people and the people I see are wearing their masks, then I won't necessarily feel that my clothes are that contaminated. I really haven't interacted much with anyone. So it's on a case-by-case basis. And you can, uh, you can make some decisions based on your actual exposure to other people who may or may not be um, a, a, risk, a risky situation. So that's so important to to remember that everything has, uh, as as you said, the uh, the benefit and risk uh, analysis. So some uh, so a healthcare worker, very different situation. What about going into a healthcare provider's place, even with the ventilation? Is that something you'd be concerned about? Even, you know, who knows what. Well, the front the frontline workers are doing it, and yes. at the beginning, a lot of them got sick, and a lot of them died, and that is totally heartbreaking that that could have even happened. Mm. But there were things that we didn't know enough about, and there were there was a shortage of PPE. The protective equipment wasn't enough to go around, so they were reusing it. Uh, there may be places now that have to start doing that again again, because we have this huge spike. Uh, It's like an explosion of infections. So I worry about the fact that we have to protect our first line, you know, the the medical professionals who are saving lives. They really need to be protected to the full extent possible. But uh, in, in terms of a person going in as a patient, you have to go in if you need medical care. You shouldn't put off screenings for cancer screenings, you shouldn't put off surgery that's, that's needed. You know, there are some elective surgeries that were postponed for long periods of time to the point where they're not so elective anymore and you really should go get it. Um, and, uh, and those, again, personal decisions uh, together with your, um, your physician, your, your own doctor, you should have this conversation. Uh, what, what, what should I do? Should I, should I put it off for a while or should I have it done? And in particular, your healthcare screening, like a, um, uh, like a colonoscopy and a mammogram. And if you are at risk for any other types of, of, uh, healthcare issues that, um, you, you have to make some decisions and in general, the medical providers know what they're doing and they are doing it safely and they uh they're the experts they're really the experts they always have been and now they're doing it even better with the understanding of the things that we can do to um you know to reduce risk uh, so yes go go to the doctor really use use our medical services and and uh those those decisions again make it together with your with your healthcare provider. So what, um, so we're really just saying again, that, that not to get the COVID fatigue syndrome to really be staying on top of things. And, and even though it's difficult to, to really pay attention and that idea of, of, of caring for one another, 
the ethical idea of of doing 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 good <laughs> to put it quite bluntly is really what we're we're talking about here with all with all of the things that uh we know i think that 2020 is the culmination of an era where we have gone from a world where we kind of compartmentalized to now a world where everyone is traveling and there is vast exchange between different corners of the world. And in my book, The Handbook, Surviving in a Germ-Filled World, did I know at that point that we would be surviving in a germ-filled world? Well, here we are. But in the preface of the very first sentences of my book, I write, germs know no borders. They cross continents and oceans, carried by infected individuals, just a plane ride away. Outbreaks of disease happen all the time in various corners of the world. Many people feel, fear that it's just a matter of time before an outbreak in one area becomes an epidemic and then a pandemic as travelers bring germs from place to place, from country to country. And so here we are. 2020. Uh, this will pass. We will um, hopefully all survive and thrive through this pandemic so that we can emerge on the other side of it. But we're not done with this in our lives and in the lives of our children and grandchildren. Uh, there will be other outbreaks. There will be, um, heaven forbid, that there should be pandemics like this again. But it's almost inevitable because people will be traveling again. And uh, what, some of the things that we can do, number one, is remember the lessons of this experience. One of the major lessons is if we had done the right things from the beginning, the mask wearing, social distancing, and it would have been hard, but we could have saved hundreds of thousands of lives more globally. Um, we need to remember that lesson. We need to consider that there will be future outbreaks and, and we need to uh, respect the science and uh, appreciate what the science and the scientists are doing to help us develop therapeutics and drugs and develop these vaccines because we all want to emerge on the other side of this healthy and sound um, and COVID is a tough one. It not only kills, but it also it maims. It, it um, uh, results in health issues that can be lifelong. Um, and that's why this is so serious. We can't give in to COVID fatigue. We have to be vigilant. And it's sad. It's heartbreaking. We can't hug those little cuties. You know, you have to, you miss your friends. Uh, but let's look at the big picture, okay? In seems very distant, but we'll get there. And we'll get there with more of us safe and sound if we can do the right thing. This so-called herd immunity, we can establish that by vaccination. That's what the vaccines hold us. Uh, you know, mm -hmm. those, that's the promise of the vaccines is that they will give us immunity without making us sick. And we in hope. that way, we can go forward and establish a society where most people are immune, but not immune by, by getting sick and dying. Uh, if you let nature take its course, people will become immune, but a lot of them will be six feet under 
and that won't help them. And that will be a terrible tragedy because it's preventable. If we can just keep in mind, right? Keep, keep that prize in, uh, you know, in, in front of us, the, the end of this, where we're all coming together again and we're all still safe and sound. That's the key. And the other part, yes, thank you. Thank you, uh, Miriam Warman. Um, also, the other things that we can do to keep ourselves healthy, exercise, eating well, really perhaps venturing into some new areas of well-being, Tai Chi, yoga, doing the Zoom classes, if people can do it, doing it yourself, taking walks, getting out. Um, it'll be ski season here soon. The S word, snow. Um, but um, <laughs> doing really good things for your own immune system because it's not only about being passive and also doing things to keep your mental health, your physical health going will also increase your immune system. So if you are exposed to things, perhaps you'll be able to, even though this is such a virulent uh, thing, you'll be able to, uh, to have, have something built up that will keep you, uh, keep you safer. Yes, for all of these challenges. And let me tell you, there are times when I feel very sad and I miss my friends and family uh, and I miss various activities. Uh, you live in Maine. Maine is gorgeous. I don't care what season it is. It's a beautiful place. We have a beautiful world. And uh, this um, interesting period of time has given me more time to appreciate the great outdoors. You know, I, given it was summer, spring, and then summer, and now fall, and everything is turning colors. So it's beautiful. But even through the winter time, let's see if we can be mindful of the beauty that we do have in front of us, even if you're looking at it through the window, uh, but you can go out and take brief walks, you know, bundle up. I think we're all going to get really good winter coats, bundle up and even shiver along outside with your friends on a little walk um, and try to take advantage of the things that you still have access to. And then even try new things. You know, when this started, everybody was baking bread. Like, what's that all about? And there was, there was a run on yeast. Nobody could even find yeast. So uh, take up new hobbies. Um, Zoom. Take advantage of all of these opportunities to be face-to-face -face with people who, um, who maybe you wouldn't even have seen under normal circumstances. You, you can strike up new friendships. Uh, you can... Um, read books and watch Netflix. And, you know, there are so many nice things that you can do. You can be together within your bubble or pod and, you know, do special activities with them. There also, I just recently heard that people are um, planning to establish their own winter pods, uh, a group of people who have uh, quarantined or been like very safe for a couple of weeks. And now they decided they're all going to be a safe group, a pod, a small group of people they get together and they can do things as long as they don't, you know, branch out to other places. So those are some of the things that we can do and plan to do because it's going to be a long winter and it's going to be a trying time. We're not there yet. We have some challenges ahead of us, but if we can do this thoughtfully, then we can stay healthy and we can emerge on the other end of this and then celebrate, you know, we'll just all get together and celebrate. That's right. Sparkling cider for everybody. Okay. Um, exactly. Yes. And, uh, you know, so we can sum this up. Keep 
your masks on properly, do your social distancing, be mindful and kind, and do all of the things that will keep yourself and others safe in, a, in an ethical way. Wash your hands. Make sure you get the medical attention you need and the emotional attention you need. I love this winter pod thing. I think that's a that's a, something I hadn't heard, but it's a great idea. Yes, yes. That that idea of being alone is uh, very difficult and very challenging. So there are uh, some people who are figuring out how to be together with a very small group of friends, and that seems to be a uh, responsible way to approach um, having more human contact. But you have to be really careful about it. Because you have to be uh, pretty confident that those other people are going to be doing the right thing and staying safe. So those are um, some of the solutions to to this difficult time. Well, thank you. Um, I think we're just out of time. And we've been talking with Professor Miriam Worman, author of The Handbook, Surviving in a Germ-Filled World. Thank you so much for being with us again on Healthy Options today, offering your insights and advice. And we'll have uh, some links to your book and some other things we discussed um, at the uh, when we archive the program. We'll have a link to this program and to other information that was mentioned when we post the show in the Public Affairs Archives at weru.org. In the meantime, if you missed any part of this program or would like to share it, please go to weru.org to find our recent programs on demand. Thanks to Joel Mann and Amy Brown at WERU for technical assistance and to Petra Hall for production assistance. And as always, thanks to all of our WERU listeners and supporters. Please stay well and safe. And this is Rhonda Feynman wishing you the best in health. 